Welcome back everyone to the Sub-Zero Coffee Podcast. I'm Kirk Pearson, the host of the podcast. And today's um, today's a juicy podcast. Today's a big one. We're interviewing a very, um, very influential person in Melbourne's specialty coffee and uh, for many different reasons. And it's a bit of a sad one in many ways because um, in Melbourne we've been enduring some pretty substantial lockdowns, perhaps the longest and now the most stringent in the world. And they've had a pretty awful impact on people's lives, uh, people's businesses, and um, it's just been, a, been an entirely regrettable experience, but we'll get to that a bit later in the podcast. Today's guest is David Macon, founder of Axel. Welcome, Dave. Hey, how are you? Oh, mate, that's the rhetorical question of the decade right now, isn't it? Very much so. It's just like, I mean, today, right now, I'm feeling good because we're talking to Dave Macon, of course, but... Um, <laughs> yeah, sure. Like, there's been better years sort of thing. You know what I mean? Yes. Yeah. Yes, I've definitely, uh, definitely experienced better years than this year. Well, let me hit me back with the same. How are you going? Uh, it's kind of like this weird fog and it's this weird, uh, you almost feel like we're just on hold. Like you're hitting pause on a, uh, an old tape recorder and we're just waiting to hit play again. So it is this really strange feeling that uh, yeah, you just seem to be doing the same thing all day, every day, waiting. Yeah, and let's let's add a bit of context to this, Dave. Um, we are situated in Melbourne, which is in the state of Victoria, which is a separate state and or province, or if you like, um, in Australia from the rest of the country. And we experienced, uh, did it start in May or June? I can't remember, but we experienced the biggest outbreak of coronavirus in Australia. And um, pretty much every other state in Australia is relatively COVID-free, uh, they're operating, their life has restored to what is now, um, I believe, a COVID normal is the new term. And so businesses are open, open in other states, people are free to travel, go on holidays, do things, kids are at school. Um, you know, it's very and it's a very enviable, enviable situation. And in Victoria, we are under what has been called a stage four lockdown. And under a stage four lockdown, retail businesses have been ordered to close. Um, cafes and restaurants can only do takeaway, but that's that only goes so far, as we'll elaborate on throughout the rest of the podcast. And, um, and we're not allowed to have guests in our house. Would you believe it? But we'll, we'll get to all of that a little bit later. Uh, won't, won't spoil the good stuff. But I want to know a bit about you, Dave. What are some of your interests outside of coffee? Well, it's interesting. I think I've only had two main interests my whole life, and that would be hospitality. And then my other one, I suppose, would be cars. So, you know, I grew up racing go-karts as a kid, and then I, uh, I restored uh, like a 65 Mustang when I was uh, was growing up, some like nearly 10-year project restoring that car. And yeah, and then, uh, yeah, it's just always been, uh, you know, those two things that uh, I've really focused on is uh, hospitality and some sort of car racing or cars. Well, it's interesting. Yeah, I remember you telling me you had a great big crash in one of your races and you showed me pictures of your car absolutely mangled. I don't know how you're alive, to be honest, and your, your, your wife must have been frightened and your parents must have been frightened when you did that. That was a pretty, pretty extreme sport. Yeah, it is a bit of an extreme sport, I suppose. I hadn't looked at it like that, but I feel quite safe, you know, like I'm uh, I'm shielded inside a roll cage and, you know, I have fireproof suit and helmets and, you know, like all the gear. So, uh, yeah, when I do get into those sort of accidents, that was in uh, Newcastle um, while I was racing and, uh, yeah, got clipped and uh, knocked into a concrete wall at uh, quite reasonable speed. So, um, yeah. Quite reasonable. Car, What's but, quite reasonable speed? Yeah. Oh, I don't know. I would have been about, you know, 120, something like that. So <laughs> Yeah, okay. Yeah, yeah. thrown up into the air and, uh, yeah, the car was a bit worse to wear. I had some bruising, but uh, no broken bones or anything. So uh, we, we lived to uh, fight another day. Yeah, well, I mean, the safety equipment you mentioned before is all relative, you know. Like, I mean, yes, you were wearing all that equipment, insulated, somewhat protected, but, like, I mean, a few, a few, uh, a few more kilometres of speed and that could have been entirely different, but... Anyway, that's beyond the scope of this podcast. Obviously, yeah. you you um you own a hospitality business or a specialty coffee business here in Australia, Axel Coffee. If you haven't had Axel Coffee, I encourage you to get some. Great. Um. Oh yeah. By the way, Dave's my former boss, so I used to work for for Dave. Um. How did you get into the specialty coffee industry, Dave? Well, 
you know what's funny is I don't think it was called the specialty coffee industry when I got into it. I think it was just the coffee industry back when I started. When was this? Um, this is, well, this was my 20th year in uh, the coffee industry. So uh, I started in, well, first thing, I came out of uh, school and went and did a degree in uh, catering and hotel management mm-hmm. and uh, always envisaged that I was going to get into the hotel game. And I ended up in restaurants and uh, I accidentally uh, got introduced to the coffee industry um, while I was working uh, for Spotless Catering in Melbourne. And uh, there was a staff member there that was working on their coffee project, a guy called Peter Wolf. And uh, he started bringing in different samples of different coffees and uh, teaching me more and more about coffee. And that was probably you know, my first introduction into uh, the world of coffee uh, was through him. Well, that's what I, I love hearing these stories, Dave, because it's always it, it's it's quite common in the people that come on this podcast to sort of you don't go to coffee, coffee comes to you because obviously it's a bit of a niche market. It's very hard, uh, as we'll talk about soon, it's very hard to, to make a dollar out of coffee and um, it's not always a, a hugely lucrative career for in, in some ways. Um, but yeah, I like the way people encounter coffee and I mean, I was a dish pig and then just learned to love it, but very, very interesting, David. Um, yeah, so yeah, I mean, coffee was, uh, you know, I was hospitality for... Uh, you know, a good sort of six years, mm-hmm. like uh, before I even uh, yeah stumbled across coffee, and then I got my first job in coffee was actually with Dow Egbert, which is a, a very large global coffee company, and I worked for them as a sales rep back in the day. And from where? And from there, where did you go? Uh, went from Piazza Dora. I was there for nearly five years, and I went to work for Veneziano Coffee mm-hmm. Roasters. Yep, uh, here in Melbourne. So I worked for them. Around about five years mm-hmm. um, before eventually opening Axel in two thousand and ten. Two thousand and ten, and somewhere in or this this is this is probably why you're at Axel. Be good to ask. Where along the line did you become the Australian barista champion? Oh, by the way, everyone, Dave is a former Australian barista champion, two time Australian barista champion, is it, Dave? Yeah, twice. Yeah, oh, yeah. Yeah, I started. Um, I started in the coffee. The first ever Victorian barista competition was two thousand and four, mm-hmm. and uh, that that you know um, I was working at Piazza d'Oro, and their um, head of sales who worked out of Sydney was a guy called Mako Lapena, mm-hmm. and uh, he'd already been competing for a few years. And he said, "Oh, it's the first ever one. You should, you know, you should have a go." And he did some training with me, and I spent a couple of days with him, and uh, competed at the first one, and uh, I won in two thousand and four. And I remember going to the uh, Australian final, the Australian final back in those days. Um, by winning the state, it just got me into like this open heat of like 30 baristas that all competed on the day and uh, went up to Sydney for the day. And I remember I came dead last, like oh, wow. hundreds and hundreds of points behind. But the irony was the eventual winner was Mako, uh, who had been training me. So he won that year. And that sort of drove me to uh, to go back and you know, compete again. I competed again in 05 and won Victoria. And then I think I came about fifth in Australia. And then I competed again in 06 and won Victoria. And then I eventually I won Australia and went to the Worlds. And uh, that was in Switzerland that year. And I came, came 11, something like that. I said, oh, this isn't good enough. I'll have another crack. So I came back and went again in 07 and won Victoria. And then I was runner-up in Australia, so I didn't get to go to Worlds. So all right, we'll have one more crack. So I won Victoria again in 2008, and then I won Australia in 2008, and then I made the world final. And, uh, yeah, I still remember, yeah, it was a very close second place. So, um, you know, it was a fantastic experience and everything. But, uh, yeah, it's still uh, two burns. We've come so close. I can imagine. I can only imagine. Yeah. And, um, yeah, it's a, it's – it's it's that kind of it's that kind of thing as well because you put so much work into it to to get to that point and I mean to have just it's a very subjective thing a barista competition if anyone who's listening hasn't watched one I urge you to go watch one and it's um you'd, you'd see why there's a lot of ambiguity in what in what it takes to be a champion but um, yeah I can totally understand that you would um, be happy with your second place and after that begin Axel I mean that's no small feat the second best barista in the world it'd be nice to be the best but it's 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 not um it's not insignificant, David. No, no, not at all. And to be honest, I think if I had have won, I probably wouldn't have opened Axel. 
I would have probably ended up going down a different path. You know, a lot of the time the world barista champion gets, you know, flown around and goes to different, you know, events and different, uh, you know, coffee farms and gets sort of taken to a lot of different places. And, and, and to be honest, yeah, I probably wouldn't have been in a position to uh, open Axel. So everything happens for a reason. And uh, I couldn't be happier that we uh, ended up opening Axel with my now wife, um, Zoe, um, back in 2010. Excellent. Well, let's get let's get into some of that because your in, your first Axel store was in Hawthorne. Is that correct? Yeah, that's correct. Yeah, and Burwood Road, Hawthorne. And the roast and the roastery was also in there, um, went the, which you just moved, I think, last year across the road to a sort of bigger warehouse. Um, so that was your first store. How many stores do you have now? Uh, we officially have fifteen stores at the moment. Fifteen stores and. Um, uh, does that include the ones that you're yet to open? Yeah, it does. Okay. Yeah, that's why I'm sort of a bit tentative in my answer because I mean there is 15, but um, we're only we've only got eight open at the moment. Mm-hmm. And um, of the 15, for whatever reason, um, we decided 2020 was the year that we were going to expand a bit, and uh, we signed a number of leases back in 2019. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, they were all sort of under construction, you know, mm. this year. And yep. uh, we, we've managed to complete the build on five new stores uh, during 2020, during uh, various stages of lockdown. And uh, those five stores are completely finished, absolutely beautiful looking new stores. And uh, we've just locked the doors, turned the lights off and never opened them. They're just sitting there waiting. That's It's hard um, to hear you say that, Dave, but... I guess I'd like to sort of explain to um, listeners why I thought it'd be great for you and I to do a podcast. So today is Sunday, the 13th of September, um, and I asked you if we could do this on Friday, and you kindly agreed. And it was um, brought to, it sort of came about for me because of um, a post I saw on your Facebook. So I'm just going to read that post if you don't mind, Dave. Um, And obviously, with what you just said, so five, you know, inactive stores that you've just built um it's obviously that's obviously a very heavy toll which we'll unpack in a bit but i'll just read dave's post quote hospitality in victoria is dead zero cases a day for 14 days to allow cafes to reopen with 20 socially distanced seats i'm confused a population of 5 million plus people and we're targeting zero that's a totally unachievable and unrealistic target new south wales has been able to unable to do that, New South Wales being the uh, province um, above Victoria, let alone the rest of the world. This will mean hospitality will, will remain closed until there is a vaccine, which basically means everyone in hospitality will be broke and or suicidal. I'm all for the lockdown. I'm all for health over business, but you have to have some realistic targets or what will be left. Real people, real jobs, real targets. It's a democracy, so feel free to comment respectfully, but if you're at home on a full wage... The only and the only change to your life is that you're limited to an hour of daily exercise. Then think carefully. End quote. Now, Dave, that's a um, that sort of hit me because with, with your obviously with your business that you that you have that we've just sort of explained a little bit about um, the the current restrictions are very much uh, impacting impacting you and and in a very very substantial way. And at the beginning of that post, zero cases a day for fourteen days. That is um, that is referencing the roadmap plan that is outlined by the government, uh, which sort of will is the proposed way that we're going to exit this lockdown and, and and get back to some sort of normal. What do you think about that now? Like everything everything that you said in that post and some of the feedback that you got, what's been the response? Uh, I think it's important to understand that obviously I'm, I'm not trying to purport that I'm a scientist. Mm-hmm. I'm not trying to purport that I'm an epidemiologist mm-hmm. and obviously you know they're giving some incredible feedback and some guidance you know to the government uh, but there is also a lot of infighting between the scientists and the epidemiologists so that's part of the problem as well as some of them are saying that we should be opening up faster some of them are saying no the roadmap's fine um, so you know really at the end of the day I just like to see a little bit more consultation and a little bit more understanding of what their direction is and how they arrived at that direction. And for me, the biggest part of it is, and you know, I stated in that post, I'm all for 
you know, the lockdown being extended two weeks is disappointing, but a hard lockdown for two weeks um, from now being extended um, has a world of good. It'll save weeks and weeks on the end, um, at lesser restrictions. So I can see why they've done that. Um, you know, I, I've also talked about the fact that I think we need to do better contact tracing. And I think that hospitality has done a very good job of that. And that's the other part of this roadmap that, you know, a lot of hospitality can't understand. They'll open Bunnings in a few weeks, which for everyone, you know, internationally, that's a big hardware store. And they'll let thousands of people a day walk around Bunnings buying all sorts of things. And they won't take down a single name. They won't take down a single phone number. But at the same time, in hospitality, they won't let us have tables and chairs, socially distanced, and then we're taking down everyone's names and everybody's phone numbers to be able to contract trace that. So there seems to be a lot of things that just don't seem to match up in the policy and what they're trying to do. And look, I, I wouldn't like to be the Premier. I wouldn't like to be in the government at the moment. Um, but in the same breath, we've got to be able to give feedback and we've got to be able to stand up for our industry and say, hey, we're doing the right thing. You know what I mean? Like we've got mm. sanitizer on the entry of the stores, you know, where we're, uh, we're not using uh, sugar on the table anymore. We're not using paper menus anymore. We're doing QR codes so that you're not reusing menus between people. We're taking down names and phone numbers. We're, we're doing all these steps to ensure that we can operate safely. But yet we're, we're still not going to really get that opportunity to operate until we get to zero cases. That's a zero case average for 14 days. Well, let's, so we get, yeah. let, let's explain this sort of roadmap as brief as we can. So it's a uh, five-step Roadmap, and so I'll, I'll quickly I'll read as quickly as I can the steps. So step one, starting today, the thirteenth of September, and this is all relative to hospitality. I'll just keep it for hospitality. This is a coffee podcast. So extension of stage four restrictions for two weeks, um, and singles can have one nominated guest at home. Hospitality restrictions remain unchanged. Next step, beginning twenty eighth of September. Uh, moving to the second step of the plan, um, manufacturing, warehousing, and personal distributions restrictions will be loosened, but hospitality restrictions again remain unchanged. Step three, 26th of October to 23rd of November, um, and th- these are all target. These are all um, sort of predicated on hitting targets. So back at step two, I should mention there needs to be a case, uh, a daily average increase of coronavirus cases needs to be between 30 and 50, and that needs to be over. A, um, the previous 14-day period. Next step, 26th of October to 23rd of November. Uh, advancement to this step is contingent on hitting a daily average case rate of less uh, five or less over a 14-day period. Um, even that's beginning to be very, very ambitious. And in that step, you'd be able to have, I think, up a cap of 10 people dining outside. So again, 10 people dining outside. Step four, November 23rd onwards, hospitality indoor group limit of 20 and seated service with a cap of 50 patrons combined with outdoor dining settings, of course. And to get to this step, and this is this is probably the part that's providing a lot of frustration for a lot of vendors, there needs to be an, you know, zero new cases over a, pre, over a 14 day period. And that's that to, to go back to sort of the beginning of your Facebook post there, zero cases. And I think that's left a lot of people sort of um, incensed and then step five the COVID normal um, basically there needs to be zero new cases for 28 days across the whole state and that will begin the 20th of September just before Christmas so um, could you explain to us Dave why you think this is so unrealistic I just think if we look at what's happening even in Australia I mean I know we're in a, a much better position than a lot of other countries internationally so I'm really not comparing to that but I mean even if you look to New South Wales and Queensland um, New South Wales and Queensland two states in other states in Australia have been unable to get to a zero daily average um, you know New South Wales is posting sort of between five and ten cases a day. Queensland posted sort of nine cases the other day on one day. And then we even looked in New Zealand, which is a remote island who's cut themselves off from everyone. They went 100 odd days with zero cases and then suddenly had cases again. But it, it, you, you can't get to zero. And then the other thing is, of course, is that we haven't talked about is that, you know, some of these cases um, are going to be in healthcare and in aged care. Um, and 
does that mean that then if you don't have the people walking around in community and they're not community transmission, then that should still be counted towards like this zero over 14 days. I just think that's the big thing. Nobody in hospitality is advocating that we just throw the doors open and just go back to normal. It'll probably never be normal again. But I think there needs to be some discussion and consultation about how this would work. And then even, as you said, in step three, they're talking about, you know, oh, you can have 10 seats outside. Well, anyone that's been to Melbourne knows that, you know, 10 seats outside isn't doing you much good on every second day in Melbourne. And not to mention the fact that you can't re-employ chefs and restock a whole kitchen um, to try and serve 10 seats. But the, the, it just doesn't work. The, it, the economy of scale isn't there to, uh, to trade with 10 seats. Yeah, you're exactly right, and I think this is um, this is perhaps something that a lot of consumers, I would hope, will will sort of um, become aware of um, as as this sort of unfolds over the next few months and years. But there's there's been enormous damage done to the economy, and enormous damage sort of that we probably perhaps don't even realise. And and if we're yeah operating in our own little hospitality micro economy, I think there's yeah a lot of pain to come, but. We'll get to that. Um, I think another part of this, Dave, that perhaps a lot of people might not consider is the the subsidised wages of this. So, uh, for companies, so um, obviously we have in Australia a program called JobKeeper, which is a payment of fifteen hundred dollars a fortnight, which is soon to be reduced. Um, that supplements the wages of a lot of Australian workers right now, because of course the economy has been smashed. That's due to be reduced and then uh, removed altogether at some stage next year. Is hospitality in Victoria going to fall off a bit of a cliff when that's removed, Dave? Yeah, I think I think there is going to. I don't think it'll be all of a sudden on one particular day, but it's all of a sudden going to get a lot harder uh, very quickly for a, for a lot of hospitality operators. Um, and one of the things that's hidden behind. All of this is obviously that, you know, there's some staff that haven't been eligible for JobKeeper and JobSeeker and obviously, you know, in a stand-down sort of position. And, you know, one of the things when you stand staff down, you're still accruing their annual leave. Mm. And so, you know, there's been big controversy with Qantas, obviously, you know, behind that. But, you know, we've been going for nine months now where some of our staff stood down. So, you know, each of those staff members that have been stood down has accrued three weeks' worth of annual leave. Mm. So that's an average of sort of $4,000 a staff member. And even on a small company like ours, you know, at uh, sort of 30 staff, that's $150,000 worth of accrued annual leave you've got coming, you know, back behind you as well when you when you reopen. Mm. And then you've also got this deferred rent, which, you know, you talked about that. The JobKeeper gave uh, – eligibility gave us access to the Tenancy Act, and the Tenancy Act uh, gave us a formula basically that, you know, discounted some of our rent and deferred some of our rent. And, and look, you know, it's really, a, you know, a good initiative, but we also have to understand that all the hospitality businesses have now been accruing 50% of their normal rent every month behind them. And when we come out the other side of this, there's going to be that accruement of uh, leave entitlements. There'll be this accruement of deferred rent, um, which businesses are going to have to try and catch up on. And so that's also going to be a big factor as well. I mean, as far as JobKeeper and JobSeeker being wound back, well, it has to be wound back at some stage. I mean, is this the right, exactly the right point? Probably not in Victoria, but it's difficult, isn't it? Because you have to make a national policy. It has to be for the whole country. Mm. Um, so, I mean, yeah, I mean, you, you could uh, talk about it for hours, but you know, I think it has. I think it was good that they scaled it back. Right, so it drops in the next quarter by like twenty five percent, and it drops in the following quarter again by another twenty five percent. It's better that than to um, to basically just remove it altogether from one day till the next. So it'll give businesses a chance, like myself, to adjust to it. Um, so you know, overall, the two initiatives in JobKeeper and the Tenancy Act have um, been beneficial. But from uh, from a business point of view, there is um, a lot of accrued debt sitting in the background of all of uh, these hospitality businesses now and it's whether they can actually trade out of them or not. Yeah, and I, I think uh, bringing up commercial tenancy there is is very interesting because we um, we had Dan- Daniel Dick, who, who you may know, uh, on the podcast a few weeks ago and he, we sort of spoke about 
the future of negotiating um, a lease for a business in Australia or perhaps even anywhere across the world? Will there be this sort of pandemic clause or will you, if you indeed decide to invest or in, in, some, in building another store in the near future, um, do you think you'll look for a sort of clause when you're negotiating this for a pandemic or such a shock? Because this is something I never could have imagined happening in my lifetime, but it's also you know, having, I think I've rationalized with every day being locked in my house um, and only allowed out for an hour is that it's just like, this has actually happened and it's going to, it's obviously changing our lives in so many different ways, but will it change, will it change the future of negotiating commercial leases forever? Like an act of, an act of God protection for you, so to speak? Yeah, I think that there's going to obviously have to be some sort of conversation, you know, with future leases um, around things like this. Um, but ultimately, too, that uh, the landlord can't be expected to foot the entire bill either. Um, you know, some of the landlords I've got, uh, you know, some of my landlords are big multinational companies. And so people just think, oh, well, you know, they should be able to, you know, stuff that up and just, you know, waive the rent. But then a lot of the, those companies have shareholders. And those shareholders are, you know what I mean, like retired people and you know, everyday people that own shares in that company and they're relying on the dividend to live. And then the flip side of that is I have some of my landlords that are literally just independent mum and dad like uh, landlords that own commercial buildings. Um, one in particular is a retired you know, elderly couple and you know they invested in this commercial building as their retirement plan. Mm-hmm. use their superannuation to do it. So you, you can't write off the rent and just expect them to take no rent at all. Um, and so that'll also be part of this problem when you negotiate a tenant, a, a new lease. Is, is The landlord's not just going to turn around and say, oh, if there's a global pandemic, we'll just write off the rent for the entire length of the pandemic. I mean, like, oh, I don't think uh, that's just not going to get included in the lease. So it is going to be very interesting to see what landlords are willing to do and willing to negotiate um, if this was ever to happen again. But ultimately, we probably hope that the federal government steps in again with a tenancy act mm-hmm. um, and uh, instructs the landlords what to do. Because at least that way, it made it fair that all the landlords had to work to the exact same formula um, and it wasn't up to individual tenants to be able to to strike individual deals. Um, that will put a lot of pressure on uh, a lot of hospitality operators to try and go and negotiate with landlords um, and end up with all sorts of different deals, um, some better than others. Okay. Well, um, very well explained there, Dave. I'm just going to play a little piece of audio uh, that I got throughout the week from uh, Chris Lucas, who is the head of the Lucas Group and founder of the Lucas Group. They own venues like Chin Chin and uh, Hawker Hall, I think Kasume, some very, very well-known and established restaurants in Victoria. And this is sort of going back to the topic of um, sort of what the impact of the lockdown on the hospitality and coffee scene in Victoria. Uh, Dave, you might not be able to hear this. It's going to go for about 40, 40-something seconds. And um, this is Chris Lucas appearing on Sky News in Australia. Look, um, I'm afraid the simple answer is no. Uh, I think that we are in a perilous state Uh, As you correctly pointed out, uh, we had hoped and we had asked for a plan, a plan to get out of this mess. And what we got yesterday was quite the opposite. We we got a plan that, quite frankly, is a a death knell to our industry. And quite frankly, I I think it goes beyond that, Peter. I think Mm. uh, six million Victorians potentially face an economic disaster and a mental health disaster that I think is has never we've never seen before. And uh, I'm really, I'm really fearful for our industry. I think maybe potentially we're talking about up to 30 to 40 percent of restaurants and cafes across Victoria, Peter, won't survive this lockdown. Okay, so that was Chris Lucas appearing on Sky News, and he was asked a question by Peter Credlin about whether he was satisfied um, with the premier's, I guess, exit strategy from this lockdown. What got me at the end of that sort of uh, at the end of that grab, Dave, was the 30 to 40 percent figure that uh, Chris Lucas sort of hypothesized could be the, um, the rate of closures that or, or people sort of folding businesses folding from this lockdown would you agree with that figure or do you think it's more less oh it's very, I mean you yeah, know that's fortune telling mm. I mean I, I you know I don't think he's going to be a long way off I think that uh, there will be a large amount of businesses that that 
don't make it. Um, but, you know, an exact percentage or figure, I mean, it's yet to be seen too. And, and that probably depends on, you know, the steps that we go through to reopen and then whether we then remain open um, and then whether business returns um, to sort of levels it used, used to be at. And therefore, um, all those businesses can catch up on that, you know, the crude debt we were talking about earlier and make sure they can trade their way out of it. Mm. Well, and, and some, some modelling, I was reading a, an article in The Age, which is a, a, a publication in Victoria here, saying that PwC, a large accounting firm in Australia, conducted research for the inner city of Melbourne and they predict that Melbourne could lose 79,000 jobs annually over the next five years in a scenario of prolonged recovery. And that, so that's sort of a worst case scenario and that under that circumstance, there would be a, an, a fall of economic activity in Victoria of over $327 billion over the next five years. So I guess what I'm trying to sort of um, put put an image in people's minds here, like the, econ- the, 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 the economy is sensitive. It's, not, it's like breathing or, or blood flowing through your veins. If it stops for an entire year, there's going to be effects. If you know, if if blood stops circulating throughout your body, you'll die. If you stop breathing in oxygen, you'll die. It's not like we can sort of put the economy on hold, and it's not what's happened. It's not what ha- has happened. It's been in hibernation or on life support, so to speak. But um, this shock will be f- felt for a long time, and I think a, a big part of it is travel and um, a lot of a lot of staff in. Uh, I don't know what the breakup in your business is, uh, Dave, but a lot of staff that work in hospitality venues in Australia or Victoria are from overseas. They're students. And now that lack of travel and um, the ability for people to sort of to travel is going to severely impact it. Will that be an effect on you, Dave? Yeah, I think it'll be interesting to see how we go with staffing when mm. we you know reopen and we're looking to fill all those positions. Because, yeah, we did have a reasonable percentage of our staff that were uh, – we're traveling like on holiday visas or we're out here on more longer term visas than that. So yeah, I think that will be, you know, a, a small part of the effect, but I, I don't think that's probably going to be the biggest thing that's going to worry us over the next couple of years. Um, w- w- won't be the start thing, to be honest. What, 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 what are some of the bigger concerns then? Yeah, I think we're obviously, um, the industry is going to shift, um, whether we like it or not. There are going to be some long-term changes to the way people socialise and the way people get on with their day-to-day lives. And, uh, you know, that'll have some flow-on changes. You know, particularly in the Melbourne CBD, you can see that, you know, part of the problem of why they won't let the city open is because to socially distance and get people up to their floors... They worked out it was going to take four hours to get everybody up to their floor in the lifts the building has, and then four hours to get everybody back down again if you had to socially distance and only have like a small amount of people in each lift. And so, I mean, that's probably going to change. Um, I would imagine they're probably going to see, we'll see some more staggered, um, we'll probably see some more staggered start times, I would hope. So instead of the traditional nine to five, I think you'll see some more flexibility given and some people will start at seven, some will start at you know eight, some will start at nine, some may even start at 10. And then the staggered, time, the staggered finish times. I think if anything, you know, we've got some cafes that are in the foyers of, you know, large office buildings. I think that'll actually help us. I think that coffee rush that we traditionally see from sort of, you know, 8.30 to 9.30, I think it'll spread. I Mm. think we'll actually see the staggered start times will help um, the city cafes. They'll have, uh, they won't have that peak of um, sort of coffee business as people different staggered times. But I also think that you're going to see people start to work from home a little bit more. Um, I mean, I'm not panicked. I don't think you're going to see, you know, like just whole office floors of people disappear and, and not work from the office. But you can definitely see that people are going to be given flexibility and they may have worked five days a week in the office um, before this and they might now be given the flexibility to work two days a week from home. Um, and so, therefore, we will see a drop in foot traffic. You know, that even two out of the five days, um, that's a 40% drop in foot traffic if every company was to do that. So, I definitely think we're going to see some foot traffic drop in the city and uh, some changes uh, to how that sort of works. Um, and we're just going to have to adapt to that. Yeah, well, life, life as we know, it will be de- decentralised in a lot of ways um, 
which will have its ups and downs. I think, you know, many people will find it uh, favorable to work from home in different ways. But that's something that sort of uh, piqued my interest, Dave, is the people obviously working from home a hell of a lot more. How does that impact a business like yours? Because obviously you sell coffee online. Have you, did you see sort of a uh, growth in sales online once the pandemic started and these lockdowns hit? Yeah, uh, I mean, yes, our internet store has grown incredibly during this time. I think our growth, we're 500% up on last year wow. um, for our internet sales. Um, but that's off a sm- very, very small dollar base. So, yes, in percentage terms, it's a lot higher, but it, it doesn't go to uh, to hedge what we've lost out of all of the cafes. So, uh, you know, it's probably, you know, that increase is probably only represents a couple of percent of um, what was lost from the cafes. Um, but it was a nice bonus to see the uh, the online sales increase. I suppose it'd be great to see some more people drinking roast and ground coffee uh, in home uh, in Australia as opposed to instant. Mm. Um, and unfortunately for anyone, yeah, that internationally probably doesn't understand, but yeah, some crazy percentage of uh People drink instant coffee in home in Australia and only drink roast and ground basically out of home. Um, so it'd be good to see more of a conversion to, uh, you know, to people using real coffee uh, in their homes. Uh, yeah. Yeah, and I think that's a very interesting point as well because people in Melbourne obviously love coffee and people in Australia, to be honest, love, love their coffee. And uh, I think a lot of people probably take interest in, in developing their skills um, at home. Does that sort of um, – what's been the you, – you roast coffee wholesale. What's been the impact there? Like has, has that dramatically dropped or what, – what, I mean the cafes that you supply to are pr- maybe still be open. What's been the flow, flow on effect there? Uh, yeah, I mean obviously, yeah, we supply wholesale coffee to, um, to other cafes and yeah, we've seen a dramatic drop there. We've probably seen about a 60% drop in sales in our wholesale um, part of our business. Mm-hmm. Um, basically, because yeah, everyone's gone from a dining sort of um, setup to a um, to a takeaway. Um, some 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 cafes we supply, would you believe, have gone up in volume. Like ultimately, if they're in suburban locations, um, they've gone from a situation where a large number of people in the suburb they're based in go to work in the city Monday to Friday, um, buy their coffee there, and all of a sudden. They're not. They're in their home now, seven days a week. So they're going to their local cafes. So it's funny. We've seen all the city cafes, you know, drop basically to no volume, and we've seen some of the suburban ones actually go up in volume. It's a very interesting point you raised there, and uh, I've 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 heard some really positive stories in in that respect. And I live in Kew, which is not too far from from Hawthorne, um, where you're based. And um, yeah, like there's, there's actually That's some quite fun. That's quite funny, Kirk. Well, I live in QT. We almost could have done this face to face without the restrictions. Oh, mate. Well, I mean, it's it's highly illegal right now. But you know, one day I won't <laughs> rule it out. We'll have a Dave Macon podcast two point but um, I didn't know that, Neighborina. Welcome, welcome to the hood. I mean, you've probably lived yeah, here far it. longer than I have, but you know, good to have you here, Dave. Thanks. Appreciate the welcome. Um, but yeah, like, like we were saying, a lot of people take ownership of um, of their cafe and sort of support it, which is you know, a testament to this city and its, um, and you know, its love for the finer things in life, coffee. Um, it's good to hear you say some positive things. Like, you, you know, it's, it's um, obviously with the Facebook post that you had uh, that I referenced earlier was um, in response to the, the restrictions and the roadmap plan and perhaps some adjustments that could be made there. But what are you looking forward to in the future, Dave, um, with respect to Victorian hospitality or just life in general with the next few years to come? Because we don't know what's going to happen yet. It could be good. There could be some good things. There's probably going to be some pretty tough things. What are you feeling positive about? Well, I'm feeling pretty um, positive overall. I mean, obviously, we're lucky to be living in Australia and, you know, as much as, you know, we can have a little bit of criticism about the roadmap and the reopening, I think overall... Uh, the government, you know, state and federal um, and even local government have all done as good a job as they could be expected to do given how quickly this was all poured on top of us. Um, so everyone's sort of been trying to make decisions as they go and, um, yeah, there's been some, you know, some things that could have been done better along the way and, and that's even from my point of view as well. There's some things, that, you know, I could have done better in my business but, 
uh, it is quite difficult as you're going um, to, you know, to make decisions day to day. And especially, did anyone think back in, uh, you know, what the middle of March when this started? that we'd still be here six months later uh, in this position. I don't think a lot of people would have thought that. So I think what are we looking forward to? I think we're just looking forward to uh, coming back to some sort of normal, like you said earlier, like a COVID normal. And I think that uh, I'll be a lot more appreciative of a lot of things in life um, if we can make our way back to that. Yeah, well, uh, it, it's interesting that you bring up the, the, the performance of the, the government because – at current, we stand at about 26,000 uh, total cases in Australia of COVID-19 since the pandemic began. And I'm just looking at India right now. Uh, yesterday, they had 94,409 cases in one day, new new cases discovered in one day, and 78,000 people have died there. So, I mean, to put it in a bit of perspective, we're doing quite well, but the current stage four is, but which was pretty much the entire theme of this podcast, is pretty, pretty substantial. Um so yeah, you're right, Dave. It's it's yeah. In relative terms, we're doing okay, but heck, it's it's um, it's pretty it, living under this these conditions for so long is it's a very unique experience, and I really hope it doesn't last too much longer because it's um, yeah, being allowed out of your house for an hour a day sucks. Yeah, it gives you a small glimpse into if uh, you ever to be in prison for anything, doesn't it? I mean. Um you know, we still have free will in terms of, you know, I mean, going to you know, the supermarket and, yeah, doing all sorts of things, Netflix and, you know, all of these creature comforts. Uh, yeah, and it's been incredibly difficult. So, yeah, it'll be uh, it'll be nice to see the restrictions lifted. Obviously, you know, we're two weeks from today than what we thought, but uh, I'm almost getting used to it, I think. Yeah, me too. I mean, working from home, I mean, in the small capacity that I can has been, been interesting. Um Perhaps I'll become like a sort of institutionalized creature of habit. Like I'll just, I'll just remain the. Maybe I've developed some habits that will last forever, but um, you know, that all remains to be seen. David, do you think? Um, do you think you'll get back on the car racing? Uh well, yeah. We'll uh, just have to wait and see. I don't think there's much of it going on at the moment, but mm. uh, yeah, at this stage, the focus will definitely be on uh, getting all the venues reopened, getting all the staff. Uh, Reemployed and back up to speed, and um, yeah, as I said, just trying to uh, yeah to go through that recovery and um, catch up on some rent and some things like that, and uh, make sure that we can trade our way out of it uh, through next year. Um, I'm feeling pretty confident about how things will return, and I suppose you know we were in a stage four lockdown. We got released a stage three lockdown. We got released to stage two and had tables and chairs for about five weeks which was June, July. And uh, the one thing I'd say is that uh, our business recovered exceptionally quickly in that five weeks. We saw sales, even with limited seating and um, social distancing, our sales came back to almost about 85% of what they were um, you know, pre-COVID. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, sort of hanging on to the idea that things will come back and, you know, the same as like you know Asia in you know in the past they've they've had the lockdown cities and um, you know those cities have recovered and come back to what they were and I have no doubt Melbourne will recover and you'll get back to um, very close resemblance of what it used to be. Yeah, uh, absolutely. And I think uh, Melbournians are um, they're I wouldn't say equipped to deal with this, but we're we're very as a species, I guess you could say we're very. Um, we're very proud of our city and we're very proud of our culture and that that's what Melbourne is. I mean, it, it's not known for the fantastic weather or the pretty beaches. It's it's culture, it's food, it's um, live music, performances, all the activities you can do, the sporting events that we have here and, you know, coffee. The, it, it, Melbourne's probably got the most diverse hospitality scene in the world and, uh, like, I'm perhaps not as well-travelled as you, Dave, but I don't think I've had, you know... Pound for pound, I don't think I've been to a better city for hospitality ever. Have you? Well, there's definitely some cities in the world that have, you know, some equally as good, you know, hospitality uh, as, as we do. And um, everybody's got their different take on it and their different experience. And I suppose that's, you know, what makes all of those cities culturally so fantastic is that uh, yeah, you can go to different cities in the world and experience such different hospitality and different experiences. And I think you're right, in, you know, in terms of uh, it's a human race thing. I think that the human race in general is going to want to get back to normal and get back to the way of life. 
Um, and, you know, we'll, we'll see that globally around the world is uh, everyone will uh, eventually get back to some sort of normal. Um, that's what we're all um, fighting for and therefore um, working towards. It'll be interesting to see, obviously, you know, what happens with a vaccine. I think that's um, that's the scary part for me is, you know, everybody keeps saying, oh, we'll be fine once a vaccine arrives. But, you know, I'm sure everyone's heard this, but, you know, in the mid-'80s they came out and said, oh, you know, we're pretty confident we'll have a vaccine for HIV within the next sort of one to two years. Mm. And uh, we're 35 years later and they still don't have a vaccine for that. So as much as everybody at the moment is extremely confident that uh, we're going to have a vaccine, I still think, you know, that's part of that discussion around that roadmap is, well, at the moment we don't have one, so we probably need to make a plan of how we're going to learn to live with this virus um, and protect, you know, obviously everyone's health um, first. But um, I don't think we should be banking on suddenly having a vaccine as a Christmas present. No, absolutely not. And you can you can understand the um, the scepticism uh, of a lot of people around that vaccine. And um, yeah, and you know, I, I think most people would have to think, you know, a rushed vaccine. Um, personally, I think the prime minister and the premier should be the first ones on national television to have it um, to receive the vaccine to give people confidence. But like, could we be, could we be living in a situation in the future where if you want to go to cafes and go to sporting events or go to work even, um, you'll need some sort of proof that you've received or have been administered the vaccine? Oh, now there's a conspiracy theory, isn't there? You know, a lot of people would argue that, uh, you know, that, that's what they set out to do. I I don't know realistically uh, how, they, how they're going to administer it and convince the population, you know what I mean? Mm. There's always going to be a certain percentage of the population that's concerned about uh, taking a vaccine. And uh, I, I definitely have no issues with vaccines. And both my children are fully vaccinized and everything like that. The issue with this vaccine um, is more so the fact that, uh, that it, it feels a little bit like it's being rushed to market. Um, and so there's always that niggling idea. But I think that uh, obviously we're going to have to. Um, we're going to have to you know, get out there and... Uh, and make sure we protect ourselves from COVID. So let's hope uh, the scientists that are working on it are doing a great job and, um, yeah, we, we'll help us get it all back to uh, a normal sort of way of life. Yeah, just for the record, I'm, a, I'm very much pro-vaccine myself, David. I'm, 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 um, yeah. I've, uh, that, that's, it's, it's important to clarify that, isn't it? Like, uh, yeah, we're definitely uh, not promoting anything else. No, of course not. Um, uh, that's been one of the most entertaining things about lockdown. Actually, reading these QAnon conspiracy theories. I mean, they're quite they're quite um, they're quite elaborate. I mean, if uh, if you want some light reading for the afternoon, Google QAnon, Dave. It's pretty interesting. <laughs> yeah, I'm I'm sure it's uh, yeah. There's always a crazy conspiracy theories, but uh, I suppose yeah, we can't really worry about that, can we? We're just going to keep moving forward. Yeah, exactly right, exactly right. And Dave, we always like to finish on a positive, um, you know, we've, we've, we've ended with a, a nice positive tone to the podcast for the last 10 minutes, I think. Um, a question I like to ask most of the listeners uh, is this, what are the best coffees you've ever had? You can give me like a one, two, three. If you've got a one, hit me with it. Explain to me, what are the best coffees you've ever had, Dave, or coffee experiences? Oh, it's so difficult because you go I've, from, uh, I've heard you tell stories of you going to Origin and, and, and the competition sort of stories and you've obviously had people work for you that have competed. You know, you've tasted some bloody good things, been to some cool places. There, there must be a few up there, Dave. Yeah, I think that um, there, there's some different settings, obviously. You know, that first time you go to Origin and you're there on the farm with the farmer and is that, you know, that, that experience there where you're tasting coffees on the table. Um, yeah, it's just, you know, like amazing. Uh, there's also obviously the experience of, you know, like I've uh, competed at the World Bristol Championship and I was lucky enough to judge for a few years and, um, you know, sitting on the table and getting served some exceptionally good coffees at that level. And I remember uh, a cappuccino from Willem Davies still um, when he won, I think it was 2010 he won. 
and uh, just, yeah, like really memorable sort of coffee there. And But then also, too, there's those ones, you know, because they're completely different settings to yeah, going to a cafe and uh, being served uh, coffee, you know, off a coffee machine in a busy cafe. And um, I suppose my most memorable one there is pre-opening Axel. And I remember going to Portland, Oregon, and a friend of mine was the general manager at Dumpdown Coffee. And uh, I remember, yeah, going behind the counter there and uh, making some coffees on uh, their machine and uh, just being amazed at the taste of the coffee. And, uh, you know, I based some of what I've tried to achieve around um, the success of their business model. The Stumptown model has been, uh, yeah, a bit inspirational for me and really like that brand. That wouldn't have happened to be Darren Daniel, would it? No, it was Liz Hudson. Was, uh, was my yeah was my contact back in the day so mm. um yeah someone that sort of um yeah we spent some time together over there and we kept in contact and uh yeah you just have those sort of moments but um yeah it's that's the thing with coffee isn't there that um you know different settings different places um you know different experiences and they're all so unique so um you know I've enjoyed yeah a lot of different uh a lot of different experiences, a lot of different things, being able to travel around the world. And ultimately, you know, I don't feel very lucky this year, but uh, overall it's uh, 20 years in uh, the coffee industry and I've greatly enjoyed uh, everything I've done. Yeah, well, there's some fantastic lived experiences, Dave. And I, um, I've got to say thank you because I feel a whole lot better about my life after talking to you during this podcast. I mean, I hope everyone can get a bit of um, inspiration from 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 this podcast day because I was feeling a lot more you know right now reading the news is a bit of a sort of like you know daily anxiety attack waiting to happen you read it you see all these things you think oh geez but um you're a lot more you have a lot more positive outlook than I thought you might have Dave about you know the future and I mean it's good to be optimistic and I'm not saying you're being a Debbie Downer at all I'm not making that suggestion but um you seem quite positive and quite determined to sort of get to the other side of this regardless. Would that be a fair assumption? Yeah, I think that's a trait. And uh, obviously, yeah, you know, having uh, owned my own businesses and things like that, um, you've just got to keep working, keep pushing. And uh, I've always been a glass half full. And I um, I truly believe that uh, we'll work through this and come out the other side. Yeah, absolutely. And there's some good uniting words. And I think we'll probably finish on that note, Dave. But um you know, thank you so much for coming on the podcast at short notice. I just thought I saw that on Friday. Let's let's um let's 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 try and get this one done for next week. So while it's relevant and stuff and still on the burner, but yeah, thank you, thank you so much for your time, Dave, and thanks for your, your positive contributions and and the positive outlook toward the future and all the insights you've uh, provided throughout the podcast today. I can't thank you enough. No problem. Thanks for having me. All right. Well, as always, everyone, stay cool. Yeah.